Visit C3AK.com slash hello. Fill out a, uh, an electronic visitor card just to let us know you were here. And uh, we would like to connect with you, give you a shout back, and just say, hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you are joining us from home and you have uh, kids in the house with you, I would encourage you to, again, uh, go to a PC that's connected to a printer. Visit C3AK.com slash kidprint, where you can print out activity sheets for the kids, for yourself, for whoever might be in the house. Give one to the dog, see what he does with it. Uh, we are a praying church. Um, we will always be. We have always been. If you find yourself in a place where you need prayer for yourself or somebody you know, uh, I would encourage you to just reach out, send an email to prayer at c3ak.com, and uh, your prayer request will go directly to our prayer team. Uh, numerous people who throughout the course of the week will uh, see your email, and as they get that, they will be praying about your situation, whatever it might be, and uh, you can be assured that... Um, Whatever it is that's on your heart and your mind will be lifted up before the Lord um, from people who care. If your prayer request is of a little bit more personal nature and you don't want to share it with people that maybe you don't know, uh, I would encourage you to uh, send that email to either Pastor Jason at C3AK.com or Pastor Tracy at C3AK.com. When we get those um, and we see they're addressed just to us, uh, we share those only with each other. And again, we are honored, we are privileged, and uh, we are more than happy to be in prayer about your situation, whatever it might be, and uh, please do be sharing your prayer requests. And also, when things get answered, when you get a good prayer outcome, or just when things are going good and something positive happens, share that in a prayer request form as well, just so that we can encourage each other, because, you know, good news is good news. Uh, that being said, uh, I'd like to kick us off in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for those who can be gathered here physically, those who are gathered um, whenever it might be through technology. We appreciate that we live in a time and a place where uh, regardless of what might be happening outside, we have the ability to continue to be the church because it is us gathering together in spirit with each other and with you that, uh, that matters. I just pray that you would come and you would abide with us this morning, that you would accept our praise and our worship. I pray, Father, that you would make us each mindful that you have set an appointment with each one of us this morning, individually and as a group, and that we would be diligent to seek out and to understand what it is you want to say to us personally this morning, to believe that we are here, that we are watching, because there is something you want to say and speak directly into our lives. And then I pray you would help us to have the courage, to have the strength, to have the obedience, to take what it is you share with us and to act on that and to make that change and to make that different in our lives because it's that interaction with you, it's that interaction with you that makes all this worthwhile. Father, come now, fill this place, fill our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Awesome, thank you, Jason. I invite you to stand and sing with us. I mean, you can stand at home too if you'd like to. Whatever you got going on there, but uh, sing along with us, would you? Stronger, God, you are higher. 
If our God is for us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Oh 
Even, Lord, the, the mystery of your grace towards us. We see the, we, the, we see the fall season upon us, and we know that through the winter the, the seeds will lie beneath the snow. And yet in your good mercy, and if your will allows, in the spring they'll return. and to life and to, to blooming. Lord, a picture of the renewal that you give to us. As Pastor Jason taught us from Lamentations last week, mercies that are new every day. So Lord, as we, uh, as we go out later into this week after celebrating here and taking a, a moment, I, I pray, of, of refuge and rest in this place with one another. Lord, as we go through a week and the winds rise, and 
We see the sun, observe the moon. See the clouds that roll in from the mountains. Lord, that we'll be reminded that each of those is a, a messenger of you. A reminder to us that we are not alone. in spite of the fact that maybe some of us don't like the cold so much or maybe some of us don't like the rain so much maybe there are those who aren't really all that thrilled about the wind every now and then or maybe be people who instead of instead of thinking of ourselves in those moments Lord may we think of you and indeed give the words praise him Tom and Eddie, the skit guys, here to help you to conquer your fear with five tips. That's right. Number five, acknowledge your fear. Write it down, get it out there. Oh, do that, Tommy, do that. That's a great idea, okay? Here's the thing, when you write down your fear, it kind of helps just squelch the fear. Tommy is gonna show you right now that we all have this in common, we all have fears. This is Tommy's number one fear. This is my number one fear. I've seen it happen to people and it's tragic. I can't imagine what it would be like to Really? So much skin. Number four, realize that most of your fears don't even come true. Yours did. This isn't a fear. Looks like it should have been. When it comes to those fears, they don't really ever come true. Like some people have a fear of garden gnomes coming alive in the middle of the night and destroying you. What? Yes, a bunch of people fear that. I don't think so. It's a legitimate fear. Those little statues in people's yards. Those evil statues in people's yards. Oh, this is your fear. You're afraid of, no, you're I'm afraid not. of garden no, gnomes. I'm not. Yes, no, you I'm are. not. I'm not Look at you. Me. No. <laughs> okay, 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 moving on. Number three, do the thing you fear. Yes, yes. Like, stay the night in a yard filled with garden gnomes. No, it really is a good idea to do what you fear. In fact, Winston Churchill said, do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. No, Winston Churchill didn't say that. Hmm? Emerson said that. What? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. How do you know that? Well, I had a college class on and there was a, did you just say, how do I know that? Yep. Okay, you know what I'm curious about? I'm curious what it would look like if I shaved your head. It's not funny. I'm not laughing. Number two, be curious. Yeah, because when you're curious, you're not focusing on your fear. You're squelching your fear. You're, you're opening the door for God's wonder. Curiosity does that. Yeah, and you'll also find that curiosity did not kill the cat. It was that creepy kid across the street. There's someone to be afraid of. You don't even be afraid of him. Because the number one way to conquer your fear is to trust in God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit of the Lord is not of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Yep, in fact, I got you a little keepsake to help you remember that. Thanks, buddy, that's what I like about this guy. He's always thinking of other people. Ah! So there you have it, friends. Go out there. Conquer your fear. Make that bucket list of things that you want to do and know that God is on your side because there is no thing that you have to be afraid of. Oh my goodness. Can always count on the skit guys, right? They're good. Fear. We've been 
Just, we decided to take these few weeks and talk about things that hopefully would be encouraging to you. And I know that uh, these, these times that we're in, these months that we've been enduring and, and things up and down about how dangerous are things around us, how not dangerous are things around us, you know, are masks killing people, are masks not killing people, um, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court now and um, election cycles and all this stuff. Uh, job security or job insecurity, financial stability or job or financial instability, all of these things can work together, can build together to create in us a sense of fear. And there are some practical things like these guys talked about that you can do to try and address those. But as believers, really, I, I mean, just without question, our ultimate refuge should be in the Lord. And I want to give you a couple of passages today, tell you a story here about uh, King David before he was, well, not technically before he was king. He had been anointed king, but he wasn't yet the king. And an event that he goes through and how he addresses it later in the Psalms. And so the first place I want to start with that is in Psalm chapter 34. And uh, most Bibles will have this little heading in here right before the text of the scripture begins, and those headings are taken from some notations that were in the manuscripts that were found, but they're not part of the body of the scripture. And it's interesting because this ties us to another story, and we, we see a transformation that happens in David here that maybe we aren't aware of if we haven't looked at it before. And so the heading, uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, probably even on your digital Bible, because mine does if it's the ESV, but the only one that doesn't have it is the original King James 1611 version, doesn't have these little headings in it. It'll say something like this. It'll say uh, Psalm 34, right before verse 1, there'll be a little note that says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's kind of a mouthful, but it's the story of David who meets this, this person in Scripture who's named Abimelech, which means father of the king. It's not an actual name, it's a title, okay? The father of the king, which means the son would eventually become the king, his father was the king, that kind of stuff. You know how that works, you've watched Downton Abbey and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that he drove him out. So he says that he encounters this guy who's the father of the king, they have this encounter. David does something that causes the king to drive him out and that David went away. All right, so this psalm is, is echoing back to that and is teaching us something about what happened in that event and what happens after that event. And we're gonna go look at that event here in just a minute. So let's just buzz through the first few of these verses to kind of get the, the feeling of what this passage is going to tell us. So. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Those are, ooh, that's cool, right? That's awesome. Those are great words. Now let's go and look at the story of David and Abimelech and a couple of other guys. Ahimelech, 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 we are on my way. No? Nobody? All right, okay. Um, by the way, there's a great documentary about that on Netflix called Remastered. Um, the something of the king, I don't remember, about that song, about Ahimelech, and you should go watch it. It's awesome. Um, anyway. The pre-story to this, Ahimelech, Abimelech, and Achish, we find all three of these names mixed into this story, and they're all either the same person or they're kings related to each other. Because remember, Abimelech means father of the king, Ahimelech means brother of the king, Achish means the king, so these are all related. There are some who look at these passages and say these are not at all related to each other, but we know that they are because we have the notation from Psalm that says these stories are connected to one another. All right, so if we go over to 1 Samuel chapter 21, I'm, I'm going to kind of give you a recap of the first 
10 verses here, but even before that, just to set the stage here, things that have transpired right before all of this takes place is that uh, David was out in the fields tending to his sheep, out there doing his thing, uh, killing bears with his bare hands, that kind of stuff. Dude must have been something to contend with. I wouldn't have wanted to have gotten into a fight with him. He defended against bears and lions with his sheep with his bare hands and a stick, and apparently he was quite successful. But he's out there. God commands the high priest to go to David's father and look among his many sons that he has and anoint the new king. Now, King Saul is sitting on the throne, and God is not happy with King Saul. And God has determined that he's going to, even before King Saul dies, he's going to appoint and anoint the next king. And so David is out in the field, and the scripture describes him as basically a runty, ruddy little guy that nobody pays much attention to. And so when the high priest comes, and he visits the house, and he asks to see all of the sons, all of the sons are gathered except for David. And as each one passes by the high priest, the scripture tells us the high priest looks at the first son and goes, wow, this guy looks like a king. This must be him. And then God says, nope, not that one. And then the next son comes up and he goes, oh, I, okay, I get it. I get it. This guy looks way more like a king. I, this is who I would pick. And God says, nope, not that one. And they get through all of the sons who are there, and all the, the whole time God has said, it's none of these guys. And so the priest says to the father, he says, do you have any more sons? And he says, well, I mean, yeah, but it's that punky little guy, David, out there, always out there with the sheep, running around in the hills and, you know, playing with his sling and rocks. And I mean, he's, he's not much to look at. Nobody really thinks much of him. But, but I mean, if you want to see him, fine, we'll call him in. And so they call David in from the fields. And when David walks in the door, it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the high priest knows, and shaft of light comes down, and the room brightens and all this kind of stuff, and he's the one to be anointed. And so the high priest anoints him with oil and tells him that God has called him to be the next king of Israel. The other things that happen after this are uh, David kills Goliath with that stone in a sling. Saul becomes very angry with David because he knows that God is upset with him. And the fact that God has already anointed a very young man to be the king and that people begin to know this threatens Saul's position. And there are several instances where Saul actually attempts to kill David, throws spears at him, talks about poisoning him, it's pretty crazy. And David tries to fulfill his duty of being loyal to the king, but then he finds himself on the run because David and his friend Jonathan, the son of the king, best friends, hanging out. I mean, they're just like thick as thieves. Jonathan kind of keeps trying to, to run interference and give David some insight into what's happening in the king's court and what the king's thinking, and they set up this little plan where David wants to know for sure, is the king really set on killing me? And he and Jonathan devise this plan. It's kind of complicated. Honestly, I read it again last night. I was like, man, I think I could have come up with a much easier way to figure this out, but it was this whole thing where David's going to go hide out in the field, and he's supposed to be at dinner with the king, and he's got this place where he sits at the dinner table, right? And, and David says, here's what we're going to do, Jonathan. I'm not going to go to dinner tomorrow night, and I'm not going to go the night after that or the night after that. He says, if by the third night the king hasn't even noticed that I'm missing, then it's probably okay for me to come back. But while you're there having dinner, could you maybe kind of feel things out for me? You know, drop a little hint and see what kind of response you get from the king. And if he's angry with me and says he wants to kill me, then you come and tell me. And if he's happy with me, you come and tell me. And here's how that's going to work. I'm going to go hide out in this field, right? 
Jonathan says, oh, 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 wait, I got it, I got it. I'll, I'll bring my little servant guy out, and I'll tell him that I want him to, to shoot out past this rock where you're going to be hiding. And if it's okay for you to come in when he shoots those arrows to the one side, I'll say, oh, they're right here on the side of the rock. Go and gather those arrows and come back. But if the king's mad at you, I'm going to have him shoot the arrows to the other side and past you. And I'm going to say, oh, those arrows went really far. Go past the rock. Go beyond the rock and get those arrows back. And so if you hear me say, go beyond the rock, you know the king is mad at you and you should run. I'm like, man, I need to write all this down because I don't think I'm going to remember all of those steps in there. But that's what they work out and that's what they do. First night rolls by and King Saul basically says nothing. The second night, he's like, where's, where's David? How come he's not here at dinner? And then Jonathan says, kind of paraphrasing, like I've been paraphrasing most of this. So what do you think of David right now? He's, he, he had some business to attend to. He, had to he, he was called away to do some things with his family, and he just felt like it was important that he go and do that and take care of that. How do you feel about that? And Saul says, I want to kill that guy. And so Jonathan goes out, executes their little plan, has his little guy shoot those arrows, and then shouts out, I think those arrows went really far beyond the rock. And David hightails it to the country. And that's where we pick up here, is he's going to these places, visiting these different people, Ahimelech, and he goes to this place where he's looking for a weapon because he doesn't have anything with him. And he goes to a place where they happen to have the same sword that he killed Goliath with is the only weapon that they have, and he takes that with him. And then we pick him up in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. And it says this, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, to the king, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. See, the fame of David after he had uh, slain Goliath and then uh, led the people into battle, it, it had really grown. And they would sing the praises of King Saul because he's the king, right? You've got to sing the praises of the king. And they say, wow, Saul's killed thousands of dudes in battle. But that David, now that guy, that guy's killed tens of thousands of dudes in battle. So the people had begun to elevate David in their view, and this added to the rage of King Saul. And it says in verse 12 that David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. The reason he was afraid was because, you know, kings like to make alliances with one another. They like to work with one another. And so he thought, oh, this is bad. If these people are thinking this way, maybe the king is thinking this way. Maybe I shouldn't be worried about King Saul killing me right now, but I should be worried about King Achish killing me right now because he wants to get in good with Saul. So David started to worry. See what it says there? David took these words to heart and was much afraid. Fear. He was fearful, even though not that long ago he had stood with the high priest and the high priest had looked into his face and taken this, this holy anointing oil and poured it over his head and announced to David and those around him and then to the people that David was the, the anointed future king of Israel. And yet here he is, he's afraid. God's chosen him, and he's afraid. And isn't that like us sometimes? God has chosen you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because he called you. He called you to himself, and you said, yes, I want to follow. I believe. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He called you. And more than that, he's called you beyond being sons and beyond being a king or a queen. He called you to be sons and daughters like kin, like the closest relationship you can have in a family relationship, brothers and sisters together with Jesus Christ. And yet sometimes, I don't know about you, but I find myself kind of rolling around in fearful, fearful thoughts, fearful actions. 
So we see that in David. He's afraid. So here's what David did. So in verse 13, so David, he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. So David's just acting the crazy guy. Like, whoa. Says he left marks on the door frame. He's, he's like, he's scratching the door with his hands and leaving marks in it. I have a couple of doors at home that I have to replace because my dog did that. And, and you know what? And it's not the big one. We have the 60-pound dog now. He hasn't harmed the doors. It's the four-pound little thing, you know, that you 3.9 pounds. Across the room she goes. We thought, we're going to the fair. And we've tried this two or three different ways, and it always turns out the same. And she's got a little box that she can stay in, right? But it's like, I mean, we're going to be gone for a long time. And we have a nice laundry room downstairs. It's got a tile floor. So if, if she has an accident or needs to go to the bathroom while we're gone for that long, it's no big deal. It's just on the tile. And we put a little bed down there and put her toys down there and give her water and put some, some things to, to keep her happy, you know? And then off we go. And the first time we did that, we just put her in there and shut the door. And then we came home. And it was like a, a badger had taken attack to the bottom of the door in the bathroom and just shredded that thing. She was insane. <laughs> and then another time we thought, okay, well, maybe she doesn't like having the door closed. So, <laughs> so we put her in the bathroom and she's all, oh, oh, this is nice. I like this in here. And we put up baby gate. Right? It's, it's like, you know, it's this tall. She's this tall. It's this tall. She's in there. We go, we do our thing. We come home, and when we open the door, she's there. She's like, hey, what are you guys doing home? Like, how did you get out? We go and we look, and she's chewed through the baby gate. <laughs> and so one time we put a little camera down. And it's pretty much as soon as you shut the door and go out of the house. <laughs> and it just never stops. It stopped when she got out of the baby gate because she accomplished what she wanted. She chewed that thing to pieces and then came out and she's just like, oh, this is so much better. But if she can't get out, it's just like, and then we're thinking like, great, for eight hours with that door in there, she's just like, <clears throat> throwing herself against the door, you know, chewing on it, scratching at it. That's what David's doing. He's doing the same thing. He feels trapped. He feels like he's got no escape and he's got to make a way to get out of here. And so he just starts acting bonkers. <laughs> so he lets the spittle run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He says, look, aren't there enough crazy people around here? You got to bring this guy in here? Get him out of here. And that's what happens. The king says, get him out of here. And David takes off and he flees. Now remember, why did David act like he was crazy? Because he was afraid. He was scared. Now, later, we get this psalm back in Psalm 34. Let's go back there. Psalm 34. Let's go back there. Remember the heading of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, which means father of the king, same, same guy, so that he drove him out and went away. So David is writing this, remembering what happened there. I will bless the Lord at all times, all times. Now, I want you to think with me, back here when David is acting like a crazy guy, is he blessing the Lord? We just heard from the skit guys about this passage from Timothy. God is not the author of confusion, fear, all that kind of stuff. 
He wants us to have a sound mind. So David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But is that the example that we see in the story from 1 Samuel? It's okay, you can answer because the answer is obvious. No. No, he's acting in fear. And I can identify with that sometimes. That's sometimes where I want to go when things are, things are crazy, when things are bad, when I'm feeling threatened, when I'm, when I'm confused, when circumstances are overwhelming, when, when things are far beyond my control and I'm being shoved around by the circumstances of life or the world or other people or whatever. Sometimes I want to react in that fear. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now he's calling those who are reading this psalm to action. And then he's going to tell them how he got to this place because this is David's testimony of his transformation from what he was in this moment before the king to who he became as he sought the Lord. And that's what he tells us next. See, this is kind of David's confession where he says, man, if only I had trusted the Lord in that thing instead of acting out of fear. I mean, he accomplished what he wanted, right? He wanted to escape. But what if God had something else in mind? What if he had put his faith fully in God? And we see this in other stories throughout Scripture where circumstances are dire. And people could take matters into their own hands, but instead they reach out to God. They they humble themselves before God and say, I will accept your plan for this moment. And God does things that they could never have imagined or orchestrated themselves. What if that would have happened over there before the king of Achish, if David hadn't acted out of fear. And so he says, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. And Tobin, we're gonna go on to verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me, and what did he do? He delivered me from all my fears. Read that with me, go back one, Tobin. Read that with me, right there, starting in verse four. Right here we go. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. This is a different David than we found over in 1 Samuel. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Listen, he says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. We're gonna come back to that right at the end here. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'm going to dig into a couple of those because I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to misconstrue what he's saying here. But let's go back to verse 6. The poor man cried. This poor man. David says, this guy, me. I cried out. The Lord heard me and saved me out of all my troubles. Now here's what you need to know about this scope in time. David still has some tremendous mistakes to make. He saved me out of all my troubles is not the same as I've never had any more troubles after that. I mean, part of me wishes that were true, but we know very well that it isn't. 
Just our own life experience tells us as much. So then what does it look like to be saved out of all of our troubles? I'm going to suggest a, a couple of other passages of Scripture to you. John 14, 27, which, by the way, if you're looking for a compact insight into who Jesus is, what he was about, and what he wants of us as believers, the chapters of John 13, 14, 15, and 16 are about the greatest thing you could ever read in all of the Bible to get that. It is, I was reading through so much of it as I was preparing this because I landed in John 14 and some of my favorite verses are in there. Jim's favorite verse is in there. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that's the gospel right there. Boom, compact. John 3.16 is in there. And so if you're looking for something to... I was just so encouraged by it. It just it made me joyful to read through so many of these things about Jesus. And a lot of it's him talking about himself and telling about the kingdom of God and about his relationship with the Father and how he's interacting and interfacing with humanity now. I mean, it just is so rich. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that when I ask this question, what does it look like for the Lord to save me out of all my troubles, that somehow I land in John 14 because there's just so much in there. And it's here with John 14, 27. Jesus says to these people, to his, his disciples, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now he says, my peace I give to you. Now do you suppose that Jesus, who was there from the beginning, who who is the person, we see these stories like Jacob wrestling with the angel, um, an angel coming to visit Abraham and Sarah. Uh, there's a couple of others. Did you know those are Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? It's, it's, he didn't just show up the day that he was born of Mary. We know this because, again, John chapter 1 tells us that he was in the beginning. It's a big, he was. In the beginning, Jesus was. Three short letters, but a big word. That all of creation was made through him and by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. If it got made, Jesus did it. Do you suppose that that Jesus, that same Jesus who would touch the deaf and cause them to hear and, and touch the blind and make them see again, who would actually reach down and touch a dead child and bring her back to life, who would call out to Lazarus after he's been in the tomb for three days, four days, and say, come out of there, come out of there, Lazarus, I want to see you, and, and he would rise again. That same Jesus who would give himself on the cross freely as a sacrifice for our sins and then be raised from the dead on the third day. Do you suppose that same Jesus who ascended to the heavens and sits at the right hand of Jesus preparing a place for us, which is also in John chapter 14, I believe, um, making a place for us to go and be with him for all of eternity. Do you suppose that that same Jesus has a peace that is different from the peace that you and I can obtain on our own? And he says, I give that to you. I give you my peace. Not as the world gives, because how does the world give? The world gives with strings attached. See, the world gives to get. The world gives expecting to receive something back. But here he says, I give it. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Perfect. How do I do that? <laughs> it's the always problematic yes, but how? 
And you know, we could, we could list uh, some checklists of things to do, kind of like the, you know, the first four of the five of the skit guys, practical things you could do, that's good. But even their number one was trust in the Lord. Okay, well, how do I do that? Let me take you to another verse in John chapter 14. 14, 1. So why don't we or how can we experience this peace? Here we go. He says again, he says this a lot. Let not your hearts be troubled. But here's the key. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Many years ago, Jason and I went with a couple of friends to a pastor's conference in San Diego. We suffered down there at this resort hotel, played golf every day. Um, Although we did get hammered by the biggest hailstorm I've ever been in. I mean, they were like, and it was painful because there was nowhere to go. You're in the middle of a golf course. There's no place to go. And also, Jason caused two flat tires on our golf carts that day. I don't know how he did it, but it must have been him. Um, But uh, there was a guy there that, that we've referenced many times, Dallas Willard speaking. And he... We're in this, a room, a large room like this, two or three times this size, really, and it's packed with people. And he had, he had become very well-known because of some books that he had written. They were books on apologetics, kind of answering the critiques of Christianity. And from a very scholarly and intelligent point of view, to the, to the extent that I think I'm a pretty smart guy, his books are difficult to digest. I find myself rereading passages, trying to go, okay, what, the, what does that say? I almost feel like I need to diagram the sentences so I can figure out what he's saying. Which is funny because then in person, he was completely accessible, completely understandable. And it was just this environment where people were just throwing out questions like, well, hey, what about this? And hey, what about that? What do you think about this? And he would just give his thoughts and provide some scripture to to underscore things that he was saying. And he was just such a kind and gentle person. And uh, somebody asked a question, something along the lines of, why do people stop following Jesus? And he said, it has a lot to do with what they really mean when they say, I'm a follower of Christ. He said, because there is a great difference between confession and belief. And that's all he said. Went to the next question. And I don't think I heard anything else that was said in that Q&A the rest of the, the afternoon because I started writing in this little notebook that I had, and I continued writing all the way on the plane, all the way back, and it was one of the first messages I preached when we came back was about this. But it's right here. This is the words of Jesus, and he's, he's knocking on this principle right here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And here's the difference. We know this in life. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. It's the age-old example. I can, I can pull this stool up here. Perfectly functional stool. If I sit on that thing, it'll hold me up. Do you believe that? Think that's true? That's my confession. But it doesn't make it real. So I can say that all day long. If I never, ever sit on a stool in my whole life, do I really know it's true? I mean, I can observe someone else sitting on I can ask Michael to come up here, sit on that stool. I go, see, Michael sits on it. I could sit on it, be fine. But that's confession. 
See, it doesn't become belief until I go and I sit on the stool. Why don't we experience peace that Jesus offers us? Why don't we experience this thing where even though we still have troubles, we understand that God has delivered us from those troubles? We can still endure trials but not be broken. We can, we can still be pressed down but never crushed. Why don't, we, why don't we have that in our lives sometimes? And I think it's this. It's that we say we believe, we confess we believe, but then we live in fear. We make decisions that question the trustworthiness of God. We say to God that we want him to help us with something and then we do our best to humanly wrestle that thing around until it fits what we want it to be in, in a search of some kind of relief. And it seems sort of cliche, I guess, to say if we want to experience this peace that Jesus offers us, his peace, we have to model ourselves after Jesus who took every single moment and breath of his life and said to his father, what do you want me to do? Even to the point that in the garden before he's crucified, he says he has this cup of death sitting before him that he knows he must drink and he says to, to his father, he says, if there's any other way, is there any other path to do what you've asked me to do? If there's anything else, I'd love to do that, but if not, but if not, father, I'll take this cup. I don't understand it. I don't really see why this is the way, but I'll do it because that's what you've told me to do. See, that's belief. And so how do we experience that? We really have to live like we believe. We have to act like we believe. We have to make decisions as if we believe because we do believe in Jesus. That he is able that he loves us, that he wants to be involved in the minute details of our lives. That's why the, the writer says in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. He says at the end of verse 10 there, those who seek the Lord lack for no good thing. I think the reason we often don't experience peace, we don't experience that God rescuing us out of all of our troubles is because we're really not seeking him. We're saying we do, but we don't. We seek our own answers and we seek the world's answers. And, and we, don't, we don't rest on him, we don't wait on him. Often that's my problem is I don't wanna wait. I want to be patient for the Lord to, to act when God is ready. So I don't want to do that. I want to trust the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's who I want to be. Hope that's who you want to be. And it's not a work that God does in you. It's a decision that you have to make another Dallas Willard that we like to, to throw around here, grace, God's grace is not opposed to your effort. You have a part to play. So as you go from here, when we're finished today, that's the question you're asking yourself. Do I really believe or am I just giving it lip service? Am I just talking about it? And then whatever circumstance or issue or struggle that you're facing, this is your test moment to say, okay, I'm not gonna try and beat this into submission. I'm not gonna try and claw my way through the door. I'm going to trust God and let it go. That's belief.
Would you pray with me? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to wrap up with a couple of videos. Uh, one of them is uh, another update from our friends, uh, Alan and Melissa Batts, and uh, their kids are giving us the update this week, and so that's pretty entertaining. And uh, I know that uh, some of you maybe have tried to use the online portal. We've got like four different ways to give, right? You can send a check here. You can use PayPal. You can text to give. If you text to give, that information is on the donate page, c3ak.com slash donate. It's there. And you just say missions and then however much you want to send. You know, missions, 10, number 10, it'll be $10. Missions, 100, it'll be $100. Um, and then through our giving portal, which is another way, we uh, realized that we needed to create a category for that. So if you've tried to do that, uh, to give through the giving portal and didn't see how to do that, you now can use that portal to, to designate that gift to the Bats family as well. And uh, Connie was saying, Dad was asking about where did we get connected with these folks. It was actually through Don Ashley, uh, who's friends with them, and they're members at Fairview Loop Baptist Church out in uh, the Matsu Valley. They're a sister church of ours through the Alaska Baptist Convention. And uh, that's how we got connected with them. And I really have enjoyed getting to know them and that relationship and looking forward to what God might do with it in the future. Someday, maybe when the world's not completely haywire, there might even be opportunities for some of us to go to Togo and hang out with them and minister to some people there. Wouldn't that be exciting? That'd be awesome. All right, so here's the Bats family. And then uh, right after that, we have a video with uh, Yo-Yo Ma playing uh, the cello. Uh, he's an incredible artist. This is a beautiful video, Bach. Uh, cello suite number one in G major, the prelude. It's uh, really beautiful. However, those of you who are with us online, we're going to ask you to, as soon as the BATS video is over, to buzz out. And Jan is providing a link in the chat. It's also in the description of YouTube where you can go watch that video because YouTube doesn't want us to show this video to you today. Uh, and they're going to kick us off if we try. So we're going to watch it live here. You click on the link at home and watch it there, and that'll be the close of the service today. Uh, don't forget, the Clarehouse sign-up is out here on the board, and uh, we'll see you real soon, all right? When this video is over, we'll be dismissed for the day.
Thank you. 